It's always interesting to see what conversation starter really does get you started. <laughs> and you guys must all have really nice physicians that you want to recommend <laughs> to one another. Yeah. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the clarity of your word, and I pray that today, by your spirit, and as we, as we open your word, you would help us to grasp the, the beauty of all that you've promised us. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you've been watching the debates already and the positioning of people for the next presidential election, you'll have noticed that healthcare is showing up again. It did in the last and the one before that, and it just seems that healthcare is one of the big issues that keeps showing up in presidential elections. And of course it does, because all of us would like to have the best possible health care for the least possible cost. Isn't that what we want? And so everybody's coming up with their concepts of how the government is going to eventually provide for that. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a form of health care that is available only to us. And in the book of James, James is writing to people who are experiencing health care crises like you and I couldn't imagine. In those days, there were not hospitals, there were no clinics, there were physicians few and far between, and most of us wouldn't want to be treated by one of the physicians from those days. In fact, roll back to the 1850s, most of us wouldn't want to be treated back then. I'm reading a book right now that is just, you makes your hair stand on end, but it's the history of when they, dis when they figured out what was causing infections. So somewhere around about the 1850s, if you went to a hospital then, and you needed to have surgery, the chances were that you would die, not from the surgery, but from the infection that would invade your body after that. And the physicians who started to work on it, and we're going to come back to this someday, there was a French physician who figured out, wash your hands before you deal with, with a, a patient. And you know what? The physicians, the, the medical world fought him so badly, they drove him nuts. He literally went insane trying to persuade them that that's what it was. He discovered it because they would be doing, they would be teaching their students, working on cadavers, and then there'd be a woman giving birth over there. And so they'd go over without washing their hands and help give birth to the baby. And of course, the mother and the baby usually died from that kind of, of exposure that they did. In England, the same thing was happening. When you went in for surgery, they would cut off your leg and they would do it. Actually, it's called, the book is called The Butchering Art because they believed that it was an art. As a, as a physician, you wanted to cut that leg off and stop the blood as quickly as possible, and some of them were so proud of how quickly they could do that. But the hospitals were so filthy that there was even a term for it, that, they, that you would die from hospital death. You would get pick up an infection. And there was an English physician who began to figure this out. And again, the establishment fought him and fought him and fought him. Interesting thing is that it was only as he was doing it that physicians over in Europe picked up on what he was doing to fight infections, and they began to do it. And only when the success was happening overseas did it come across to England. So I tell you what, this book, I've got to finish it, but man, it's a hard book to read. Just like, oh, pick it up and go, oh, I don't want to read another chapter, but oh, well, here we go, and reading it. So in those days, as James was writing to them, that's the kind of world, or even worse, than, than what I've described to you. So that when you needed medical help, there was really nowhere to go, except James said, there's one vital place you must go, first to God, and second to one another. And so James describes for us the divine health care plan. And I'm going to recommend this, that one of the, uh, our 
people who's running for office should adapt this one too as, as part of it. Now, as we do this, I want you to notice something really interesting. As James describes God's healthcare plan for us, it touches the whole person. It touches us spiritually because it takes us to the divine physician. And when we go to the divine physician, you'll notice that he not only addresses our physical needs, but he addresses the spiritual needs that are on the inside. His ultimate desire is not just to heal our bodies. His ultimate desire is to heal our souls. And so when we go to the divine physician, we find that he ministers to us spiritually, also psychological. You'll notice that one of the things we're told to do is to confess our sins. And often the diseases we suffer from are birthed from the internal turmoil that comes from guilt, from shame, from us struggling with internal issues, and he clears the air on that one. Another one is relational. We're to call out and have people come to us. And you'll notice that the elders are actually to lay hands upon the person when they come in response to the person calling, and we're to lean on one another. And they've discovered that having a good support system, a good support network, is a vital part for people to be healed. And then, of course, physical. It's kind of like, oh, also the physical. Touches the physical and heals it. And in case I forget to say this, you need to understand that what James is going to describe about the sick person becoming well is a general statement. If it was an absolute statement, we would have Christians alive today who were 2,000 years old. Okay, So if it had to work every single time, God is not a genie. What he's saying, giving this, describing to us is how normally we should approach illness among, among believers. But he's not telling us, and this is an absolute statement. He, he'll make a statement. Well, the, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. But it, if it was an absolute statement, we would have Christians alive who are 2,000 years old because they prayed and God had to heal. They prayed and God had to heal. So obviously, this is a general statement, a general promise that God makes to us. Okay, so James writing to these people who among all the difficult things they have to deal with in life also have to deal like we do with failing health. And so as he ends his letter, he has some instructions for them on what to do. And the first instruction is reach out. Reach up to God. And that's a natural thing. You've heard there are no atheists in foxholes. There, most of us, when we get sick, will find that somewhere along the line, we're starting to pray. We're starting to ask God to, to intervene. And sometimes we feel guilty about doing that. And the Spirit of God wrote these words, okay? So the Spirit of God is going to tell us that praying is not something that God lets us do. As if God goes, ah, oh, here he is again. Here comes Raymond. Dear me, you know, don't you understand I've got a universe to run? Don't you understand I'm busy? And Raymond comes to me with his prayer. Oh, come on. You read the Bible. God doesn't allow us to pray. He invites us to pray. No. He commands us to pray. He requires that we pray. And so whatever resistance, whatever feeling of, of, of oh, I shouldn't bother God with this, whatever you might have, lay it down. Because here's what the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God said, okay? Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. And trouble is general. Whatever trouble you're in, he says, you should pray. Why should you pray? Well, if you go back to the, the, the Psalms and you read the Psalms, you'll discover that God is an ever-present help in time of need. And God is constantly in tune with us. Psalm 103 from Psalm 139 from the, the time of our conception all the way through until the time we die. God has got us in his protective custody. But remember, James told us that sometimes 
We don't have because we don't ask. And sometimes we're struggling and dealing with issues and problems in, in our lives. And God is waiting for us to come to him and ask. And he won't invade until we come to him and we ask. So, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Don't, don't feel resistant to it. We're going to look at this in a few weeks' time. That the, the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, we're told that we can come with full confidence in the very presence of God. Because Jesus has washed us clean of our sin. And so we can come directly into the presence of Almighty God. And when we come into His presence, we are welcome there because Jesus is there as our intercessor. His Spirit is inside of us, and we come and we pray. I can't preach that sermon now, but still, I just want to give you a hint on it. One of the things, too, that we've learned about prayer is that when we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, which means He taps into your heart and mind. And as we're praying and trying to explain to God what we need, the Spirit of God amplifies it, interprets it, and so God hears it crystal clear. Isn't that incredible? What a God we have, hey, that he does that for us. So, any of you in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him not be happy because Christians shouldn't be happy. Isn't that a bizarre thing of how that, how that came into existence? You go back and, and just go back to when our uh, first people arrived on, this, pla on, on this, th this country. For them, being joyful was not acceptable. You had to be miserable. To be a true Christian, you had to be sober and you had to be careful not to be too frivolous. Anyone happy? <laughs> Let him sing songs of praise. For some bizarre reason, the, the world has gotten this idea that, that if you're a Christian, or maybe we just got it, you're not supposed to enjoy things. Your baby sleeps through the night, you're allowed to be happy. <laughs> yeah, you see a beautiful sunset, you're allowed to be happy. Not allowed. You're commanded. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. But notice that too. When you feel joy, turn it to God and be thankful to God for it. it. It's so bizarre. I've lived here now for 20 years. I still have those occasions where I'm driving down the road and I turn a corner and there's the ocean. And <laughs> it's like, I'm still not used to it. It's like, oh my gosh, because I used to live a thousand miles inland. So when I see the ocean, there's always that jolt of, wow. I live near the ocean. Thank you, Lord, is how we should respond when we see that kind of thing. Anyone happy, let him sing songs of praise because we should recognize that the good things in life come from God. It's appropriate that we praise God for it. And also it helps to cement inside of us that there is goodness in this world. There's good things that God gives to us because hard times are going to come. And when we praise God for the good times, it helps to build a foundation of trust in him. And that's why I praise him as well. And let him sing songs of praise. Um, have you ever asked yourself this question? No, you probably haven't, so I'll ask it for you. A, a, a group of guys are standing around and a pretty girl walks by. And one of them goes, <whistles> Now, why does he do that? Well, because he's a jerk. <laughs> but there's another reason he does it. Because he wants the other guys... To look and go, yeah. Now, stay with me, okay? This is a bit of an awkward illustration, but still stay with me. There's a certain additional joy when it's shared. That's why when, when somebody picks up a baby and, you, and, and goes, oh, how beautiful. And others gather around and go, oh, yeah, oh, how beautiful. And they're doing that. There's something that happens that when you praise 
and others pick it up, your own joy is heightened. And that's the whole point of worshiping together. Because when you worship together, your joy is heightened in the presence of other people. So they didn't sing songs of praise. It's okay to do it alone, but it's also appropriate to do it with others, to give, to, to express it to them. So reach up, James says, first of all. Then he says, now reach out. Reach out to one another. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, it's important to notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say, is any one of you sick? He should call for the faith healers to come and lay hands upon him and heal him. And the reason he doesn't say that is when you study the New Testament, there's only about 85 people who were ever, ever delegated the power of God to heal others. Very important thing. You don't find ordinary people having the gift of healings and healing one another. Or leaders after the, the apostles died. You don't find ordinary people who had that power to heal. He doesn't say, let him call the healers. There's a fascinating thing about the apostle Paul. He could heal on occasion. But then Epaphroditus came to visit him and was almost dying. And Paul talks about that. that he almost died when he was with me. And you're going, hey, hello, Paul. Why didn't you just zap him and heal him? Why not? Don't know. He had Trophimus, I think was the other man's name. Uh, let, me, let me look at just to be sure it's, it's in there somewhere. Anyway, uh, you don't care, but I've got to find that name. <laughs> anyway, it's somebody who, who got ill. And Paul didn't say, go find somebody with the gift of healing and get him healed. Not at all. He writes to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach problem. You go, wait a minute, these guys could heal. Why in the world couldn't he just say, call for the faith healers to have somebody come and heal? And the reason is the healing power that was given to the, the, those who, who, who had it, it was given to, to validate them as God's spokesman. It was never given that they could become healers and walk around and just heal people wherever they went. If somebody today, faith healers today, could heal the way Jesus healed, they could walk through a hospital and go, and those people would be instantly healed completely of whatever disease they had. There'd be no delay. It would be complete and we'd be done. And the reason why we need to grasp hold of this is because it's one of those things that we all suffer, uh, wrestle with. When we've got a family member who's ill, we're ill ourselves, and we wonder, is it perhaps because we don't have enough faith? There was a church in Johannesburg that several years ago challenged the South Africa Broadcast Corporation and challenged them that they were going to prove that the pastor could heal people. And so they invited the SABC to bring their cameras and to film a healing service. They had all the people who were going to come up examined by doctors so that it was sure and clear that they all had organic diseases of some kind, cancer, heart, heart, heart disease, or something. And so they had them vetted by doctors. These people who were going to be healed were people who had, it was clear that they had some kind of organic disease. By the way, Often people, you say, well, what happens in healing services? Often what people are healed from are some kind of psychogenic illness, something that's caused by an emotional issue. You relieve the pressure of the emotion and they're healed. Not because their body has been healed organically, but simply because whatever is causing their difficulty is removed from them. Um, you often hear of people whose, whose one leg grew 
as a result of healing. Bones don't grow in cases like that. What may happen is that the person's stress is relieved and their legs just simply straighten out. Their hips just straighten out and it seems as if the leg has grown. So there's, there's those kind of healings sometimes happen. And some of those healings must have been happening in this, in this church. So the SABC turned on all the cameras and after an hour, it's interesting, after an hour of whipping everybody up, now it was time for healing. Does James say, is any one of you sick? You should have a big service where we sing songs and we whip everybody into a frenzy and then we call them down and we heal them. No. Well, the elders of Church of Havering read this. It was called A Night of Broken Hearts. This was in the newspaper. This night of tears could have broken hearts of stone. For the chosen few, the worst was yet to come. Guaranteed by doctors to be beyond the cure of medical science, they took to the stage like lambs to the slaughter. Here was the miracle that would make them whole again, restore sight, untangle twisted limbs, make redundant the wheelchair, the calipers, the crutches. The pastor's dramatic triumph was not for the squeamish. It was terrible to witness firsthand a paralyzed child's eyes light up as he was told that Jesus had cured him. Don't walk, boy. Run, the preacher told him. And the crowds held their breath as the youngster fell out of his wheelchair. No, it was not the night for the faint-hearted. It was the night hope, the night that hope was bludgeoned to death in front of an audience of thousands. Hopefully, there is no one callous enough to call for an encore. And you know what the pastor did? He blamed the presence of unbelievers behind the camera. It's like, oh, that is just so terrible to do to people. I told you the story of the little girl who came up to me. She was maybe 12 or 13, and she had the little uh, pipes in her arm that for, for dialysis. And she came to me and after, after a church service, and she said, why won't, why won't God heal me? And I said, I don't know. What's your story? So she told me how she'd gone forward several times in church to, for them to pray over her. And the leaders had prayed over her, and she wasn't healed. And they told her, it's because you don't have enough faith. Do you understand that the, the, the people who were guilty were the elders? were the leaders. If she was not healed, it wasn't because she didn't have faith. It's because they were lying. They were setting up a scene where she could not necessarily be healed. Now, notice that is any one of you sick, you should call the elders of the church to pray over him. Why the elders? Because hopefully they're spiritually mature people. And they come and pray over him, has that sense of praying over the person, maybe even laying hands on the person and anointing him with oil. So, they're to come and to pray over the person. Does God heal? Yes. Absolutely God heals. There are so many times in life when we have seen God heal in response to prayer. Seen God intervene in response to prayer. We had a woman come to us as a, with, a, with our elders, not here, but in a previous church. They were an infertile couple and they wanted to have a baby. So they asked us if we would pray over them. <laughs> What's interesting, one of our elders had teenagers. And when I told him we're going to pray over her so she can get pregnant, he went, why? <laughs> we prayed over her, and she had twins. It's like, whoa, hey, man, maybe we could, we could charge ad admission, you know, <laughs> make some money. We had, we had a woman come to us who had back trouble. We prayed over her, and God healed her back trouble. We had another woman come to us the same night, also wanting to get pregnant. We prayed over her. The word had gotten out. This church is good for praying for for you to get pregnant. 
And here's what's interesting. The lady who had the back trouble, her back trouble went away, and both of them got pregnant. <laughs> so we were kind of like, oops. Just hope somebody doesn't sue us here because <laughs> maybe it was the chair. I don't know. It's, it's just somehow affected them. Is any one of you sick? You should call the elders of the church because the elders hopefully are spiritually mature people. We're not going to have time to get into it too, too deep. We'll do it in a couple of weeks' time. But he uses Elijah as an example, an ordinary man just like us. But when he prayed, God did miracles. And so you want to have people who are mature enough to come around you to, 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 to pray over you. And one of the reasons why, again, the elders is because we're going to see in a moment confession may be part of this. And Paul warns in Galatians chapter 6 that those who listen to confession of others have to be very careful that they don't get led into sin themselves. And so you've got to have mature people who come around and lay, lay hands on the person um, uh, for, for healing. So, is any one of you sick? Let him call the, the, the elders to come to, to pray over them. Now, notice this. First of all, the person who is to do the summoning is the person who's sick. That person must ask for that. And that's a sense, a, a step of faith, where a person says, God is told that, that, that I should call for the elders, and so as a step of faith, I'm going to ask them to come and to pray over me. And the word sick, by the way, means really sick. That doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> I've got this splinter in my fingers. Could you guys come and pray over me? It means somebody who's really sick. This is describing somebody who's... who's Life is, is being threatened by it. So it doesn't mean for every trivial thing that happens in your life, call the elders to pray over you. No. It's if you're sick, if there's genuine need that you have right now. And the person is to call the elders, that's who they're to call, to them. Notice that means that they're going to go to that person someplace. Um, that sort of says don't do it publicly in a big worship service. It says do it privately, especially since confession is going to be part of it. And so, therefore, it needs to be done more privately. It doesn't mean it's wrong to ever do healing in a church. Okay, that's, that's, it doesn't restrict it. But that's basically what it's saying. And they're to come and to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Ha, ha, ha. Now, that's an interesting study. Anointing with oil, the word anoint, they had several words for anoint. This word can mean pour, but it also means rub. And one of the reasons that it may, he may have chosen that word. James had three words to choose. Two of them just had, meant pour. This one meant pour, but also it meant to rub. In those days, a lot of medicines were, were, were given in a suspension of olive oil. And so some of it, you would drink, the oil, drink it and, and the medicine would go down that way. Sometimes it was uh, put upon you topically and would be massaged uh, into you as a result of that. And so the oil was part of the process. Now, why would he say this? Well, in those days, physicians would use oil, olive oil, for a lot of the healing process. And most commentators believe that what he's saying is let the elders come and they're going to pray over him and administer medicine. Because in those days, often the ones who, who dealt with the town were the elders of the town. They would bring the medicine. They would be the ones who would give medicine to, to the person who's ill. And so James may be saying, you're going to pray over the person, and you're going to give them medicine as well. There's lots of Christians who think, oh, I shouldn't take medicine. It's, it's worldly. No, God created the medicine. And so it's quite, quite acceptable for, for, for people to take appropriate medicine at that point in time. There may have just been a spiritual thing to, to, as a statement of, 
we're, we're recognizing and we're being obedient to you, Father God, and we're going to pour the oil. And the pouring of the oil is just a statement of we're trusting that, Spirit of God, you're going to hear our prayer uh, for the healing of this person. Interesting thing is, as often as possible, when, when I've been part of it, we pour the oil on top of a person's head for a very important reason. It keeps trickling down. And the nice thing about it is that, you know, we see the oil being poured. And then for the next few hours, the oil will suddenly trick out of their, their hair again. And it's just a reminder of God's presence with you while we do this. But then notice that, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. All of our prayers are always put within the parameters of the name of the Lord. And so, in other words, we recognize who we're praying to and we submit to his will. I'll come back to that in just a moment. And then he says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Again, this is a general statement, okay? It's just basically a general statement that when we pray, God will hear our prayers and the Lord will raise him up. If he had to do it every single time, we'd have Christians who are thousands of years old. So obviously it's a general statement. And James has already taught us that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And the worst thing in the world would be to have somebody, a part of our family, who did not take advantage of this, who was not prayed over, and therefore did not get that, that kind of healing from God. A lot of people say you have to claim your healing from God. Claim it because it's, there's healing in, in, in the atonement. The God, he, it says, by his stripes we are healed. That's talking eternally, okay? Um, if, if God had to respond every time you claim your healing, we literally would at least have some Christians running around who are 100 years old, okay? We don't. So far, over 2,000 years, every Christian has died. <laughs> and so obviously this is not an absolute statement, but it is a statement within the parameters of this that when we pray over somebody, the Lord will raise, the, the Lord will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise him up. Here's the scary part. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. A couple of things. First of all, this does not mean that every single illness is directly tied to a sin. We live in a broken world, and in this broken world, we get sick sometimes, and it's not because we've sinned. Tony has a cold here today. What did you do yesterday? Okay? Just it doesn't mean that every single illness is directly tied to a specific sin at all, although all illness is tied to our rebellion against God. But sometimes an illness may be directly tied to a particular sin in a person's life. Think of somebody who's suffering from some form of addiction, for example. And in a time like that, there's no point praying over the person if they're going to get up and go straight back out and take some crack cocaine again. You know, this is kind of like, wait, wait, wait. You need to stop what, what you're doing in order for God's healing to kick in. And that's what I believe. Th th this is in the context of, of healing that this is stated. This doesn't mean that we should all confess our sins to one another. Aren't you glad to know that? Okay. Nor does this mean you should go find a priest and confess to a priest. The only person who can forgive sin is God. And the only one you can go to for, for, with confession and ask for forgiveness would be God and then somebody that you've injured. So in a case like this, it may be somebody who has sinned against a brother or sister. They need to go and confess it to them so that they may be, be forgiven, so that God can heal them. There's a principle in Scripture that if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I hold under sin in my heart, God does not hear my prayers, because God doesn't want me to treat him as a genie. And so if I am rebelling against God, I'm doing something wrong, and I'm praying about it, and God 
he will convict us. We believe me, he does. He will convict me of going, uh uh-uh, first we need to deal with this. And if you refuse to deal with it, then God will keep his distance because he's not going to let us treat him as a genie. And therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And then he says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God has given us this say-so in, in the way he functions in this universe, that he's incorporated our prayers into what he does and how he responds. And so James is laying this out for the church, that prayer for one another when, we're, when you're ill is a part of the normal life, should be the part of the normal life of the church. You let us know when you have needs, we pray as a staff every single Wednesday for you. And we, and we distribute it to everybody who wants to be on the prayer list. And believe me, there are many Wednesdays when we've got so much pressure on us, we want to go, <laughs> let's not have a meeting today. All right, but at least we're going to pray. And thank God for that, that there's always been that, that practice in the life of the church. And we're going to come back to this, but I just want to point out something. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Now, wake up and listen to this very carefully. Before he prayed, God told him that he was going to stop the rain. And you're going, hello? (laughs) But you're saying it was Elijah because of his prayer that God stopped the rain. Because God harnessed the fulfillment of his statement to Elijah's prayer. Elijah prayed for something God said was going to happen. And it happened. Then it happened again. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops, and God had told him, okay, drought is over, go tell the king, it's going to rain. And so he prays. It's like, hello, God said it's going to happen. Why does he pray? Because God harnessed the fulfillment of that statement to Elijah's prayer. Are you with me how important this is? That there are things that God has told us to do in this world that are dependent upon us praying. And that he harnesses the fulfillment of what he's going to do to us praying, which just gives us a hint of the enormous power that is associated with it. We're going to come back and take a look at this a little bit more in a couple of weeks' time. And then James just comes back to the idea of confession. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And that death there, I think he's speaking about, is physical death, not spiritual. He's not saying we save the person's soul, just simply saying that when we've engaged with a person in this way and we help them, if there's sin involved, and again, Galatians 6, whatever you do, be really careful that when this person needs to confess sin, if there's a confession that's necessary, restrict it to those who are spiritually able to handle it and also restrict it so that warn them that you may be tempted to sin as well. So be really careful. In Ephesians, Paul tells us, and when you do speak, make sure you only give what is necessary for the person to understand what has gone wrong. Don't give details. Just give what is necessary so that people can help you with that confession time. Um, <laughs> you see why I'm rushing? There's so much in this passage that goes with it. But let me just point out that what James has pointed out to us is that faith is based on God's word. It's bowed to God's will. And it's in his power that this healing happens. First of all, it's based on God's word. If God has told us to do something, we can trust that God will hear what we're, what we're praying about. It's bowed to his will. Remember the Lord's Prayer? He taught us, before you ever bring your needs before me, do hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We submit to his will first. 
and then we bring our prayers before him, resting in the power of God. The Apostle John wrote that. He said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Can you see in your mind a seesaw or teeter-totter? What do you guys call them here? Seesaw? Or teeter-totter. <laughs> so a seesaw or teeter-totter has to have weight on both sides of equal so that before it will stabilize, right? What this passage teaches us that when it comes to prayer, we need to commit ourselves to both ends. We pray passionately and we pray in faith for a person to be healed or whatever else it is you're praying about. Passionately, we must pray. Because if we don't pray, God's not going to hear and not going to answer. But we also submit to his will, fully expecting that God, when he answers, is going to answer perfectly according to his will. And one of the things that we're, we're often afraid of is, is uh, I'm not going to pray because God may not want to do this. Uh, I'm going to pray, but I don't know if God's will. Trust him. We pray fervently and passionately, and then we leave it in his hands how he's going to answer it. I'm sure some of you have seen this before, that there are many ways God answers our prayers. Sometimes he says, no, not yet. Sometimes, no, I love you too much. That's why I don't have a Porsche. No, I don't love you too much. Sometimes, yes, I thought you would never ask. And often, yes, and there's a whole lot more. But God answers and responds in that way. My little boy, Ryan, got an ear infection. And so they put him on an antibiotic, and that caused an intestinal infection. So they put him on another antibiotic, and it caused the intestinal infection to get worse. And our physician told us, I can't do anything. At this point in time, there's nothing we can do. So I don't know what to do. And that night, we had a Bible study in our home. And one of our members, his name was Les Bateman. Les was from England, very reserved. He had never in his life prayed publicly. But that night, Les prayed for Ryan. And that night, the infections were gone. God healed that little boy, just like that. We had a brand new couple who just became believers come to our church, and they brought their baby to us, a little baby who was very ill, and they asked us to pray over their baby. So we got the elders together, we anointed him with oil, we prayed over the baby, and that night, he was healed. I kept calling her for the next several days <laughs> and to make sure he was still okay, and after about four or five days, she said to me, Raymond, do you believe in God? <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> sorry about that. He is now in his 20s, that little boy is, is uh, God heals. But not always. One night, I was called by a family to their mother's bed. She was dying. And around midnight, the doctor was keep tracking her vital signs, and he said, it's not long now. And so the family said, thanks for Raymond, coming, Raymond, go on home. And so the next morning, I called to find out what time she died, and the nurse said, Oh, she didn't die. She's sitting up eating breakfast right now. And it was like, oh, darn. If only I had prayed over her that night, I would now have this story of how I prayed over this lady who was dying and she was gone, folks. And I prayed over her and she was raised. Sometimes God plays games with us. I really do think that he went, eh, eh, eh. Raven's going to remember this forever, that I can heal her without prayer. And as you read the Bible, you'll discover that sometimes healing was done in response to a person's faith. 
Sometimes it was done in response to somebody else's faith. Sometimes it was done with no reference to faith at all, that God in his sovereignty would heal. But he's given to us as a church the responsibility to care for one another to this death. And so make that available that you know. We have already done that on occasions here at the church where we have anointed people with oil and we prayed over them. Just let you know that that is available when and if you should need it at some time. The song we're going to sing will just pick up on that thought that God will do whatever he has said. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving us hope, not just for this life, but for the life to come. But thank you too that you give us hope that even during this life, you will intervene when you choose according to your will. And I thank you for the people we've prayed for today already and just pray that you would continue to speed their healing. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Worship team, if you'll come.